Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Friends, it is a delight to be here with Rabbi Dr. Alexander Kay, who is the Carl, Harry, and Helen Stoll Chair of Israel Studies and an assistant professor in the Department of Near Eastern and Judaic Studies at Brandeis University. He has a BA and uh, Master's in Philosophy from Cambridge University, a PhD in Jewish History from Columbia University, and rabbinical ordination from Yeshivat Chovavei Torah. In my view, he is one of the great lights of our generation as a thinker um, and a humanitarian. So Rabbi Kay, thank you for taking time to talk. It is such a pleasure to talk to you, Rabbi Dr. Shmoni, and <laughs> you know how much admiration I have for all of your work, your spiritual work, your intellectual work, your activism, and it's a delight to speak to you. Thank you, thank you so much. So I wanna talk about this amazing new book that just came out, The Invention of Jewish Theocracy, The, St the Struggle for Legal Authority in Modern Israel. I wanna highly recommend this book. Um, and this, that's what I want to chat about for a little bit here. So first of all, this idea of the halachic state, a state guided by and, um, and infused with the legislation of halacha, where did this idea come from? That is the question which is at the root of, of this book. And um, just so that the listeners get a handle on what this idea of the halachic state is, or as it's um, known in Hebrew as medinat halacha, there are all kinds of fault lines that go through Israeli society today. And one of the critical fault lines is between um, Dati and Hiloni, or religious and secular society. And I think this idea of the halakhic state is at the core of that, um, of that fault line. So just as an example, um, a prominent Israeli politician, increasingly prominent, um, called Betzalel Smotrich, and just last year, said that he wanted to be the Minister of Justice of the State of Israel on the basis of bringing, quote, the rule of Torah to the, to the state. And this is um, an increasingly popular position, which is held actually by, um, as a matter of principle, by really the majority of Zionist rabbis um, in Israel. And the question is, where does this idea come from? Now, in a way, um, the question of where the idea comes from seems to answer itself. I mean, for many people, it's self-evident that if you are a, an Orthodox rabbi, of course you will want a Jewish state to be run um, by halacha. Like after all, if this is God's law, why wouldn't you want it to run the state? Um, but actually, as I look back over the archives and the historical material, I found um, something quite different and uh, surprising to, to be the case, um, which is that this idea of halacha being the law, the singular law, for an entire state, both for Jews and non-Jews, is a radically new idea in Jewish history. And in fact, so new that really it emerged no earlier than the end of the 1940s. Um, if we think back in Jewish history, 
um, pious religious Jews, rabbis, thinkers, um, for centuries, for millennia, have recognized other systems of law alongside halakha. Of course, halakha has always been tremendously important for most, if, uh, for most Jewish communities. But there are also other systems of law that were recognized, such as dina de malchuta, the law of the state, of the non-Jewish state. Um, and also within Jewish communities, the law of the kahal, of the kihila, was a law that was made up basically um, administrative regulations that were not necessarily halakhic, um, and they were often adjudicated in courts that were not made up of rabbis, but of, of lay people. And so when we get to the beginning of um, the growth of religious Zionism, um, and you look in the 1920s, 30s, the early 1940s, most religious Zionist rabbis looked at the situation, they imagined a future Jewish state, and they thought, what kind of legal system should be in that state? Now, they all recognized that halakha should play some kind of important role in Jewish society, but they all also thought that some version of this earlier kind of um, amalgamation of halakha alongside other kinds of law was the way of having a Jewish state that recognized the importance of democracy, egalitarianism, and people living alongside who were Jewish, not Jewish, um, religious, secular, orthodox, other denominations, and so on. But in the 1940s, this radically new idea came along and which said, no, this singular law for the entire state must be halakha. And this was championed by people like Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Herzog, who later became the first Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel, and Rabbi Meir of Berlin, Bar-Ilan, an important religious Zionist clinical leader. And they actually set about writing law books for the state of Israel that were halakhic law books um, in criminal law, in civil law, like they wrote laws of murder, of, um, um, of, of, of theft, and they wanted to write about forgery and other kinds of things. And they imagined that these halakhic law books would be the law books of the state of Israel, both for all kinds of judges, Jewish or not, religious or not, that applied to all people in the state. Okay, fascinating. So if I ask the common, the, the average um, Orthodox Jew today, where does this idea of Medina Talakha come from? They say, oh, it's always there. It's what do you mean it's true? So, and then you have shown in this book and just now um, that this is really, I think you said late 40s. Um, so why does it come about at this time? What are the social pressures or the ideologies that are animated that, that make it emerge at this time? Yeah, that's, an, that's a really important question. And actually, the answer to that question is one of the deepest ironies in this whole situation. Um, because um, for many of the religious Zionist rabbis proposing this position in the 40s, the 50s, and for many rabbis in Israel who are promoting this position today, the idea of a halakhic state stands in direct opposition to the idea of a state based on what they would call foreign laws, i.e. a state based on basically modern democratic and laws that come out of a modern European legal tradition. And the idea is that taking from these foreign modern European laws is a, is a travesty because it's throwing away our Jewish history and our, and our um, responsibilities to live up to God's word. That's why it's in a tremendously deep irony that I've uncovered, and I, I think this is the case, that the reason this ideology emerges when and how it does is precisely because it is based upon modern European ideas of 
how legal philosophy is work. And I'll just say a sentence about that, uh, about that now. Ireland, um, uh, you, I, I know you wrote about some, some origins in Ireland, which I found quite interesting. That's, abs that's absolutely right. So Rabbi Herzog, who was one of the pivotal figures in this whole story, and before he was um, chief rabbi of, um, Ashkenazic chief rabbi in Palestine and later the state of Israel, he was the chief rabbi in Ireland where he was absolutely, um, he, he was one of the people consulted on creating a modern Irish constitution. And he himself was a, a very, very erudite um, thinker who had, had a very, very wide um, secular education as well as, of course, as a, as a, as a religious education. He, he had a PhD and he, he spoke and wrote widely on, on legal issues. Um, and um, for people like Rabbi Herzog and others in, in, in his generation, they looked around and saw the following thing. Before the end of the 19th century, um, Europe, Europe, and in fact, most of the world had an idea of law that was very, very pluralistic. It was at the end of the 19th century with the consolidation of the nation state that these states said, this can't do anymore. A more evolved, a more modern, a, 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 a superior way of thinking about law is to have only a single legal system applying to all citizens governed by the, in, in, within a territory of, the, of a particular state. And this was such a widespread idea, it, was, it seeped right into the bones of the way of thinking of people in the 20th century. The idea of there being different kinds of laws alongside each other was seen as something that was um, sort of backward and old-fashioned. Um, and the idea of a single law governing an entire state was seen as like the, the peak of sort of legal evolution as they talked about it at the time. So um, my contention is that the idea of a halakhic state where, where in um, departure from previous Jewish tradition, a single law, halakha, governs all the people in the state, Jewish or not, thinking only of territory and not of community and so on, and ignoring other legal systems that may be authorized alongside halakha. That comes from the model of the modern European Christian and post-Christian state. So there's a deep irony here that this position that seems to be a sort of anti-modern idea is actually only possible on the basis of this modern way of thinking. So I so it's very interesting, very interesting. So so I don't know um, enough to know if they could actually win, like in the demographics of the coming fifty years, if 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 beyond the limited religious law that Ben Gurion set in place uh, for you know the chief rabbi of that control, if there could be larger gains that happen here, um, but it but if there if this was to advance successfully. Um, what are the consequences, or what are the consequences of such a thought, uh, you know, bracketing the issue of likelihood now and for the future? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, we have to recognize that this question now is not just about legal theory in the abstract. And um, obviously, given the um, different ideological positions and social positions of different parts of Israeli society, this has consequences for um, um, discrimination between civilian uh, citizens of Israel who have different religious backgrounds, who have different genders, and the questions of how, and, and in addition to um, questions of, uh, of foreign policy, the questions of the how Israel um, deals with the occupied territories, and many, many, many other um, key questions in Israeli society. So this is really not an abstract question, it's an important question. 
Um, what I wanted to suggest in my book in, is, uh, is to urge people to get away from a very, very common dichotomy. And this is a dichotomy in Israeli society and discourse, but it's also a dichotomy just in the way that people talk about these things in general. And I think that typically people, when they think about the relationship between religion and state or religion and law, there's this dichotomy between, on the what, basically between secular and religious. You can either have a sort of secular democratic state, or you can have a religious theocratic state. And for some people, one is the ideal, and for some people, another one is the ideal. But actually, that dichotomy is, is very, very deeply problematic, I think, for two reasons. First of all, I think it's um, impractical to think in, in those terms. And secondly, I think it's undesirable. Um, let me explain briefly why I think that is. Um, the, uh, the, the core, uh, the, the reason why it's impractical is because um, you cannot take any society, and by the way, I'm talking about Israel here, but also the United States, India, basically any country in the world, and say, either say, religious people have to completely forget any place of religion in the public sphere of their, of their country. And it's equally impractical to say that religion has to completely take over um, everything. Both of those sides have um, not, not just their sort of ethical and, and moral quandaries, but also they're impractical. You can't ask religious people to lead their most deeply held convictions at home all the time. And just like we can't ask people committed to modern secular democracy to, to abandon those ideals. Um, but, and, and scholars have started to show over the past uh, couple of decades increasingly that also this dichotomy between religious and secular is essentially a lot um, more porous than it seems. Um, it's very, very difficult to say such and such a thing is purely religious or purely secular. And I tried to show that in my book in one example where I showed that this kind of ostensibly arch-religious idea of a halakhic state is actually based on these kind of modern um, principles of, of, of secular modern legal theory. But it, but it actually goes beyond that. It's not just that this dichotomy is impractical. Um, it's also, I think, that it's undesirable. Um, look, I think that both the idea of the modern state and the idea of religion in that state can have tremendous strength and also um, tremendous um, downsides. Um, I'm not somebody that thinks that the modern state is a travesty. Um, of course, there, uh, if, if a modern state is run well and transparently and democratically, it can be an extremely powerful force for good, for distributing um, both um, goods and, and justice in, a, in, a, in an equitable way. But of course, it also has the potential for massive, massive misuse for totalitarian ideologies, for the oppression of peoples, and for the exclusion of peoples. Um, and by the same token, uh, religion can be a, uh, a force for injustice and discrimination and social division. But at its best, it can be this clarion call for justice and righteousness and a criticism of the worst excesses of power um, that can be one of the um, and downsides of a badly run or an inequitably run state. So what I would love to see is a recognition of the complexity in, in wider thought in general, but also within the Jewish tradition of the complexity of how we understand the relationship between religion and power, religion and politics, 
um, in a way that can tease out that complexity and put it to work for um, good and righteousness and justice, for a um, support of power when used in its best way, and a critique of power when it's discriminatory, discriminatory or, or unjust. Um, I think that one of the challenges of the situation today in the state of Israel is that there is a tension between what people think of as secular and religious, but actually that tension is in a sense an illusion because it's based on um, a shared ideology. What's the ideology? The ideology is we want to be completely in control of the legal and political system in Israel. Um, a very extreme secular ideologists want complete control over it, and extreme religious ideologists want complete control over it. I want to get away from this either or um, on the basis of legal and political supremacy and start thinking in more complex and nuanced ways about the, um, about the different facets of these ways of being in the world and the ways that they can um, creatively both support and critique one another. Okay, amazing, amazing. So here's my last question for you today. And it's a little bit unformulated, but it's inspired by everything you're saying. If I pointed to the, the two most dominant uh, what I see to be religious understandings of, 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 this, of the state today. One would be the messianic, that this is a pathway towards global redemption, that other nations are merely instrumental in sort of an Orlegoyim sense of receiving the light of, of, the, of, of the land and the people um, in, this, in, this, in this grand vision, which is land-centric, uh, perhaps mostly land-centric. And then the second model is kind of legalistic as compared to messianic, although they're certainly intertwined, which is about the actualization of Torah laws um, that we can, you know, as you're pointing to, that we can actualize Torah's laws being back in this land. So um, for me, my, my primary relationship to Zionism or religious Zionism is bracketing the issue that I think everyone relates to of security, of survival in a post-Holocaust world. Is a state necessary for Jewish survival? interesting questions, is the idea of a model just state, a model just society built upon democracy, built upon egalitarian ethos, built upon a collaborative relationship to other nations. And I wonder in intellectual history, um, how significant the rooting of that model is in relationship to the others. In the, mar in the competitive marketplace of ideas, if one wanted to advance the social justice state um, as a Torah ideal in, in comparison to the halachic state or the messianic state? I wonder how would you root such an idea? Um, and do you think uh, there is any movement in such a direction? That's a profound and important question. The people that um, I found, I find among the most inspiring to talk about this kind of idea um, are the, the um, thinkers and the intellectuals and the religious leaders on the of the religious kibbutz movement in its early years. So I'm talking about the 40s and 50s. Um, these are people who are Orthodox Jews, they are Zionists, um, and they see their ideal vision of a Jewish society to be one that is wedded to um, a complete commitment to um, the Jewish political idea as the Zionist, the Zionist idea, but also um, to what, what we now call today social justice. And, and to many of them, when, when 
quite far in the direction of socialism, shared property, etc. Now, even taking apart, taking as, aside for now the, the idea of of, um, of the um, sort of economic socialism, the social justice ideal um, is still there. And what they saw uh, when they looked in the sources in, in Jewish in Jewish sources um, around this was that there was a a wealth um, of sources in the canon to build a society on this basis. And they went about interpreting the tradition and to kind of push in, in, in that direction. Um, and this had, um, this manifested itself in their approach to basic ethical questions when it comes to charity, when it comes to equality, when it comes to inclusion in society, when it came to questions of gender, um, and also when it came to questions of dealing with people who are not Jewish, even in, uh, or especially in the context of early Israel and dealing with Palestinian Arabs inside and outside of the borders of Israel. Um, for them, um, for example, it was, uh, you know, thinkers connected to that movement that um, were among the earliest to suggest immediately relinquishing control over the territories occupied in 1967 for fear that holding on to them would lead to moral problems that would be insurmountable. Um, um, now, um, what they also found was that the majority of Orthodox Jews that they were speaking to um, were too wedded to what in their mind was um, a mode of halakhic thinking that was better suited for situations in which Jews were um, vulnerable and by necessity thinking about their own survival and their internal communities rather than having these kind of broad visionary ideas about what an ideal society um, would look like. Um, now, there are all kinds of reasons why Jews then, and frankly, Jews now, need to um, really keep an eye on their own physical vulnerability. Um, um, and and, and I, I certainly don't want to minimize that in any way. But I do also think that there is a, there is a place here for bold, creative thinking that is rooted in the tradition in a, in a, in a, in a way that emphasizes the integrity of and traditional thinking, but also is open to um, ideas for the future. And if I could just say uh, one, one important thing to note here is that when these conversations are had, like when people ask the question that you just asked, sometimes it appears to people that some positions are obviously in line with traditional thinking and some positions require some kind of radical reinterpretation. Like obviously traditional thinking wants us to, for example, be territorial maximalists or force other people to be subordinate for ourselves, or think only of the Jewish people, or primarily the Jewish people before any other people. And, but actually, very commonly, those positions are as new and as radical and as different in the, in the we think of the course of Jewish history, as other kinds of ideas like the, um, the sort of more um, universally ethically focused ones that, that you are thinking of, of prioritizing. So yes, I think there is definitely room in the tradition for, for all of these things. I think um, um, I'll end with a paradox, which is that very often when it comes to the Jewish tradition, creative interpretation is actually the most traditionalistic thing to, to do. And I think that, uh, um, you know, within the context that we all live and work, um, there's, there's a lot more that, that can be done in those areas. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating point. So in addition to advancing our own vision, we can undermine uh, the claim to authenticity that many that many suggest in trying to have the upper hand in what uh, traditional Judaism has to offer. Friends, I can't recommend highly enough 
the, Jew, the invention of Jewish theocracy. Thank you very much, Rabbi Dr. Alex Kay. Keep up Thank the great you work. so much. Thank you.